You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Waiting is difficult, isn't it? Yeah, we just waited a total of about 60 seconds before I came up here, and it got a little awkward. I think some of you were like, somebody's in trouble. I don't know where... Supposed to be a preacher here, he's not. Um, yeah, I want to play with this idea of waiting this morning. I want to, I want to talk about, about waiting and, and what does that look like for us? Um, how should we be waiting um, when, when we're in those seasons of waiting? Is there anything that we should be doing while we wait? And the reason I want to play with this idea is because at, at the point of history where our story picks up, the nation of Israel had been waiting for 400 years for something from God. Um, the Old Testament ends, and, and then suddenly there's silence from God for 400 years. Generations had come and gone, and the nation of Israel was still waiting for a word from the Lord. They were waiting for the promised Messiah that he said would come, and it almost seems like, like maybe God had forgotten. Like maybe he just didn't remember that he had promised something. But then we're told about this faithful couple and it almost seems like out of nowhere we hear about this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and uh, Zechariah is a priest of the Lord and he's chosen to go into the temple for really a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to get to burn incense and offer, offer the sacrifices to God. And uh, we looked at this, we talked about this a few weeks ago when Gary preached. This is a picture of, of a, from a movie, but a picture of what it might have looked like with Zechariah in the temple burning incense. And while he's in there, this angel Gabriel appears to him and he tells him, Zechariah, your wife is going to have a baby. And this was a little bit weird for Zechariah because Zechariah's wife was an old woman long past the years where she should have been able to have a baby, but she, uh, she is told, or he's told that she in fact will have a baby. And Zechariah, he struggles to believe that. There's something um, with his faith that he struggles to believe that, and we know that there's something maybe a little bit wrong with his faith there. It's not quite, quite what it should be because Zechariah is then given a discipline where he can't speak for months. And so Zechariah leaves the temple. Everybody knows something's happened because he can't speak all of a sudden. And so they end up going home. His wife ends up becoming um, pregnant, and uh, about six months later, six months into her pregnancy, that same angel Gabriel then visits somebody else. He visits a young, single teenage girl by the name of Mary. And that angel, that same angel tells Mary that she is in fact going to have a baby. She is going to, to become pregnant and have a baby. And Mary wonders, she asks a very reasonable question, how's that gonna work? Because I've never been with a man like that. And the angel answers her and he tells her that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and somehow she will be pregnant with the baby even though she's never been with a man. And then that baby is going to be given the name Jesus and, and, and he will be our savior, our Messiah that we've been waiting for. And I don't think I completely understand how this worked. I have no idea exactly how that worked. I know Mary didn't fully understand that either. But she makes this incredible statement of faith in verse 38 in chapter one of Luke. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel leaves her. Right after this then, Mary, she goes and, and we're told she goes to visit her relative, um, Elizabeth, who is Zachariah's wife, the same old woman who shouldn't be able to have a baby and is now pregnant. She goes and visits her. And there's this incredible um, meeting between these two women. 
It's, it's this glorious meeting. Um, Elizabeth is overwhelmed with what the Lord has done and she says this when she meets Mary. She says, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. This baby in her womb is John the Baptist. He's even filled with the spirit. He's even excited, even from the womb. Um, it's an incredible, incredible story. And then Mary sings this incredible song that we talked about last week. It was the first Christmas carol that's ever been recorded and sung. And this week, um, and the time has come for the baby John to be born. And we're gonna look at Zachariah singing um, the second Christmas carol. It's gonna, be, it's gonna be wonderful. But I wonder what happened and what it looked like in those months when, when Mary was hanging out with Zechariah and Elizabeth. We think that she was there maybe around three months or so. She might have been there when John was born. But what did that time look like? Um, what did they talk about? What kinds of things did they do? Was Zechariah spending time building a little crib, a little bed for his baby boy? Maybe he was a really good woodworker and was, was fashioning out of a piece of wood, maybe a little rattle for the baby to play with? Was Elizabeth um, going crazy, spending time cleaning the house to make sure everything was spotless so everything would be perfect when that baby came? We don't really know, but I wonder. I wonder. This morning, we're gonna look at this, this story, and again, we're playing with this idea of waiting, so let's pray for a moment. Let's stop and ask the Spirit to work, and then we'll start working through our text. We're gonna be in Luke chapter one, starting in verse 57. Bow your heads with me. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the cross of Christ. I thank you that we have Christmas that we can celebrate because Jesus came. And Father, God, I ask, it's already been prayed, but I ask again that your spirit would move um, in and among, around, and through all of us um, this morning, Father, in such a way that not, no one in this room leaves um, unchanged, that, Father, we all are changed because we've met you and we've been with you during this time. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Pray you'd help me to, to preach it faithfully and, and we just love you. We thank you for this morning in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Luke chapter one, verse 57, it starts like this. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. So the time has come, they've, Ba they've gone, the baby's been born, it's a healthy baby, it's a boy, everybody's excited, and as was the custom, on the eighth day, they came together to circumcise the baby and also to give him his formal name. Um, parents, I don't know if you remember when you were having kids and you were uh, thinking about and picking out names, if you told anybody about those, everybody had an opinion, right? Yeah, it was no different back then. Everybody had an opinion. I work in the NICU, I take care of sick babies, so I get to see lots of baby names, and uh, Let's just say some people are super creative with their names that they come up with. I can't tell you any of them because I'd probably be breaking HIPAA laws, but there are some interesting ones. But everybody has an opinion, and it was no different back then. The crowd says to her, uh, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Nobody has the name John in your relatives. Why would you name this kid John? Why don't we figure out what we're going to do here? Let's ask Dad. What does Dad think? Verse 62, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child and he asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. No question about it. What mom said is happening. I agree with that. His name is John and look what happens next. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All of the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand um, was with him. It's this incredible, 
incredible statement that, 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 that is made here. Zechariah begins to, to, to praise, um, which is exciting to me and interesting because Zechariah has just come through a season of discipline. Remember, there was something wrong with his faith. The Lord has, has put him under discipline and instead of being frustrated or mad or irritated about that, as soon as Zechariah's mouth is opened, he begins to praise God. I, I, I like that. I appreciate that. Because for Zechariah, if there was some questions about what God was doing or that God was in fact working, they're gone now. He knows that, that something is happening and the, con the community all around them is excited. They're excited about this baby. They know there's something special about this baby. And so does Zechariah. Because now he's gonna go on to sing this, the second Christmas carol, this incredible song. It says this, verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors, then to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And now he's gonna start talking about John. He says, and in you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. The nation, as I said, has been waiting for 400 years. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth have been waiting all of their lives for a baby. They thought it was never going to happen. And now they've been waiting for nine months, but finally this baby has been born. And so for them, in some ways, the, the waiting is over, isn't it? Um, they were waiting for God to speak. He's spoken. They were waiting for the promised Messiah. They know he's now on the way. Mary might already be pregnant with him at this point. And, 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 and for them, in some ways, the, the waiting is over. And for us, in some ways, I think the, the waiting is over as well. Because we have Christmas. Jesus has already come. He was born as a baby um, in a stable in a nowhere place. And he, he grew up into a man. He lived. He died. He was resurrected. He ascended to the throne. And so because of that, if we put our faith and hope in him, then we can be saved too. And so for us, in some ways, the waiting is over as well. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we also know that in some ways the waiting continues. Because if, if, you, if you look around, we don't have to look very far to see that something's still wrong with the world. Something is still broken about this world we live in. Sin still persists. I mean, read some of the headlines. Wars, terrorist attacks, natural disasters, sickness, famine. We don't even have to go that far out. In fact, if I'm honest, the farthest that I have to go to recognize that something's wrong with the world is the guy in my mirror. Because the reality is, even though I love Jesus, I've put my faith and my hope in him. I, I trust him. I want to serve him with all that I am. And he is, by his grace, making me more and more into the image of Jesus. I still wrestle with sin. There's still something broken in, in me that's being made new, but it's still being made new. And so for all of us in the room, we're all in that same boat. We're all struggling on some level. 
And so for all of us, um, the waiting is over and in some sense the waiting is yet to go on. And so I wanna talk about four ways that I think we should be waiting um, to help us to wait well. What should we be doing while we wait? And the first one is this, we should be waiting with joy. We should be waiting with joy. We see this in verse 58, um, 64, and 68. You see the neighbors and relatives hear that the Lord has shown great mercy and they share in the joy of the baby. Babies have a way of doing that, of bringing joy to a community, bringing joy to a people. There's something about the newness of life. Um, We see Zechariah, he opens his mouth, he can speak and he's praising God because he's joyful about what God has done. And we should be like that while we wait with joy even though things are hard. It's like our Advent uh, candle being lit this morning. Story of brokenness, divorce, sadness, yet there was still joy, wasn't there? Um, Seasons of waiting um, can be difficult, especially if we're not getting what we think we want or should have in the time frame that we think we wanted. And I think um, if that's the case for us, sometimes we can become bitter or even angry at God. And to to be waiting with joy um, is important. And I think there's a couple of things that can help um, while we wait with joy. And the first one is just waiting with a posture of gratitude. We need to be looking around and and focusing on the things that we see God doing. That's what Zechariah is doing. Um, We need to be mindful of all of the ways that God is sustaining and caring and helping and loving and and supporting and doing all of the things that God does in all of our lives. Um, We need to be waiting with joy, and one of the things we can do to do that is just to be simply thankful, to be um, full of gratitude. The second thing that we can be doing to wait with joy goes along with our next point, and that's waiting with confidence that God is always at work. He's always working. We see this in verses 68 and 69. It says this, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. Do you hear the confidence in Zechariah's words here? Remember, this is the same guy that nine months ago, something was wrong with his faith. He struggled to believe God on some level. And now nine months later, after his baby's born, he is so confident that God's working, he's so confident with what's happening that he puts this in the past tense, even though Jesus has not been born yet. Um, Jesus has not gone to the cross yet. But he says that, that, that it's happening. And throughout all of the Bible, in fact, all throughout history, God has always been at work, even when it doesn't feel like it. So my question for you this morning is, so what are you waiting for? For some of you, maybe you're waiting for the test results to come back from the doctor's office. And you're super anxious because you don't know how that's gonna go, or what that might mean for your life. Some of you are waiting for healing from a sickness or a disease or or maybe significant pain in your life that you've been praying and praying and praying and it feels like God is nowhere and you're wondering, God, where are you in this? I wanna be well. For some of you, there's people in your lives, people close to you that you love that, that maybe you see that they're not walking with the Lord or maybe they've never walked with the Lord and they're making a complete car crash of their life. And so you're praying and pleading with God to break into their life, to do something. And you wonder, God, are you ever gonna do that? Is that ever gonna happen? Maybe for some of you, and you've desperately wanted to have a baby, but like Elizabeth, you struggle with not being able to get pregnant. And it's painful. And you wonder where the Lord is in it. It it feels like it's never going to happen. My parents 
um, divorced when I was about six or seven. I never, um, or I saw my, my real father only a handful of times in the time uh, from then until the time he died a few years ago. Um, we just didn't have any kind of relationship. And consequently, I didn't, I didn't see my, my dad's family very much, my grandparents on that side. Um, but my grandfather on, on my dad's side was, was kind of a hard man to know. He was a super hard working guy. He had a good sense of humor, but he was also kind of a hard guy to know. He wasn't overly affectionate. Um, he just wasn't that way, and he, he was a, a real estate agent. He also owned a farm um, where they had cattle and sheep and grew hay and did farming stuff. You can see the extent of my agricultural knowledge. Um, but, but he was kind of a hard man to know, and, and, and all of the times I saw him, it was just always kind of an awkward interaction, except for the last time that I saw him. I saw him a few months before he died, and when I saw him and began to speak with my grandfather, immediately I could tell something's different about this guy. And I, I didn't know what it was, and so I just kept talking to him, but he was gentler, he was kinder, he was gracious in his tone. And as I began to talk to him, my grandfather shared with me that he had met Jesus. Dude in his 80s had met Jesus. He was excited through tears in his eyes. He told me how he had, in fact, gotten baptized. He was so excited to tell me. My grandfather had been in church a lot throughout his life. In fact, I think he might have been in church all of his life off and on. He had heard about Jesus lots and lots and lots of times, but he never met him. And now that he had, everything was different for him. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful I got to have that conversation with my grandfather because now I know that one day when I get to go to heaven and be with Jesus, I get to see my grandfather as well and we're gonna get to have a kind of relationship like we never got to have here on earth. And we'll get to do it for eternity. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, because of that, man, my encouragement to you is, man, pray. Pray for the healing that, that you still want to come. Pray for restored relationships. Pray that the spirit of the living God would break into your life in such a way that regardless of what goes on, you would experience him day by day, moment by moment, carrying you along. Pray for him to break into the relationships and, and the people in your life that you know are so, so, so broken. Pray for the baby that you so desperately want. Read his word, look at the promises of God all throughout scripture and see that God has fulfilled every single one of them. And know that this is a God you can trust. Now I wanna be careful here because what I am not saying is that if you just pray the right way, you will be healed, that all of your relationships will be restored, that you will have that baby, that things will all come together and just be working just right for you because it's not formulaic like that. It's just not. We're never promised those things inside of scripture. But we are promised a God who loves us, who cares about us, who cares deeply about you, and he cares about what you're going through. So pray to him. Um, pray to him. Wait with joy. Wait with confidence that he is always, always, always at work. The next thing I see us needing to do here is waiting in faithful obedience. And to see this, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of, of chapter one of Luke. When we first meet Elizabeth and Zechariah, it says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees um, blamelessly. We see that Zechariah and Elizabeth were both um, godly, godly people. And like everyone else in the nation of Israel at the time, they were still waiting for God. They were waiting on God. They were waiting to hear from God. They might have been waiting for a baby that they so desperately wanted to have but couldn't. 
But instead of doing nothing, they were faithfully um, and continually serving and following Jesus. And part of that means um, walking and waiting in faithful obedience means doing whatever and going wherever the Lord commands us to go and doing whatever he commands us to do. There's a couple of traps that I think we can step in. I think there's lots of traps we can step in that might prevent us from doing this, but I wanna talk about two this morning. The first one is this, is that we're always looking out to the future. So it looks something like this. Um, when, uh, I, when, when I have a little bit lighter schedule, when time starts to slow down and, and I can get engaged, then I'm going to engage and start serving the Lord. Or, or, or maybe when I have kids, because it's important to take kids to church, so when I have kids, then I'll start going to church consistently and start serving. Or, or maybe for some, it's, it's when my kid's sports schedule slows down, when we don't have tournaments every weekend from February through November, then maybe I'll start going to church. For some of you, you have a significant issue of sin in your life that you are leaving undealt with, and your thought process goes something like, I'll deal with that later. The fact is, my friends, it's a dangerous place to be because we don't know if we have later. None of us has promised another beat of our heart or another breath in our lungs, and your very life could be demanded of you tonight. So we repent of that sin. 1 Corinthians 7.17 says this, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God has called them. So what that means is whatever state you're in, whether you have children or you have no children, whether you are employed or unemployed or overemployed, whether your, your schedule is tight, whether you're busy, whether you've got stuff going on in life, you should be serving and loving and following Jesus with all that you are. That's what that verse says. That's what Paul is talking about here um, to the letter of, of, to the Corinthians. It's what Zechariah and Elizabeth did while they were waiting. It's what we should be doing. That's the first trap. But the second trap that I see that we can step into is we fear doing what we know God has called us to do. So we just don't do it. The exciting thing about that is, is that we have a promise right here in this very song that Zechariah sings. He says this, he, that's God, has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That horn of salvation is Old Testament imagery. It, it, it refers to just a strong, strong, strong God that's working in the lives of humanity. That's what that horn means. He says, verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. The beautiful thing is about this text and this, what this promise means is that if you're a Jesus follower, he has put his living spirit inside of your life, which then enables you to serve him without fear, as it says, in holiness and righteousness. So it means you don't have to be afraid to follow. You don't have to be afraid to obey. So if you're the person here that, that is dealing with some sin that you need to confess of, man, I know you're afraid. All sin has consequence, and sometimes when we bring that sin out into the light, there is more consequence that might come. But there's also promise that comes with it. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you and will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I want you to be clean. God wants you to be clean. So will you tell a trusted brother or sister? Um, for some of you, God is calling you to walk maybe towards some relationship that's difficult. And you've been afraid about how that might go, so you don't want to walk toward it. For some of you, God may be calling you to walk away from some relationship because you know it doesn't honor God, but you're afraid to be alone, and so you don't want to do it. 
Jay McKinney a couple of weeks ago asked us when we were worshiping, he said, is Jesus enough? And I think that's a good question for us to all ask ourselves. If you strip away everything in my life, all of my relationships, all of um, my money, all of my stuff, all of the pride or prestige or respect or whatever I have in this world, take it all away, is Jesus enough? Yeah, he is enough. He is enough. And maybe God's calling you to step up and serve in some way, um, specifically inside the church, but you're scared. Man, I understand all of these fears because at some points in my life, I have been at every single one of these fears. There were relationships that I should have walked away from sooner that I didn't because I was afraid. There was relationships that I should have walked toward, but I didn't because I was afraid. There was sin I needed to confess of, but I was afraid of what would come, and so I held on to it. And it took years to get free of it. But I think the thing that, I, that comes to mind the most when I think about fear and serving the Lord for me, um, at one of these points is, is for me is when I came onto the elder team. Um, back in 2010, um, I, I was praying one night. And I don't say this flippantly because I, I just don't. But, but I felt like the Lord spoke to me very, very clearly. Now I didn't hear him audibly, um, but as close to audibly as you can hear, I felt like the Lord told me two things. I felt like he told me I'm gonna make you an elder and I'm gonna make you a preacher. And I wanted to be both of those things. I wanted to do that, those things in life, but I also wasn't sure. I, I didn't know if this was God speaking, if this was just my own desires kind of mingling in, inside of my prayer. So I didn't tell anybody. I just kept it to myself. I didn't even tell my wife. I just prayed about it and I said, God, if this is what you want, then make this come true. Well, at the end of 2011, my friend Jay Messenger and I were meeting for coffee one morning and we're chatting and he says, Sean, he said, we're, we're looking to add a couple of elders to the, to the elder team and your name has been submitted by the congregation as somebody who's, who fits the qualifications of being an elder. He said, is that something you've ever thought about? <laughs> yeah, it's funny you should say that. I have thought about that. And so he asked me if I would consider it, and, and so I, I did, and, and I came on the elder team as sort of a trial process. That's how we do things here at Grace. We begin attending meetings and, and interacting with the other elders and, and functioning as though you were one of the elders just to see how it goes. How does the chemistry work? Is this a good fit for everybody? And so that's how I, how I did it. And when it came to the, to the end of that trial period where it was time to then submit my name before all of you, to be considered as an elder, it was, it was like a decision point I needed to make. It was like, are you in or are you out? It wasn't quite to the same flavor as like in Jason Bourne when it's like, can you commit to this program? For those of you that have seen that. Not quite like that, but it was somewhere near that. And I was honestly, I, I was scared because I had questions. My questions in my head were things like, was I ready to serve at that level? Um, was I able to serve the way that you deserve to be served. And for me in my life, most things come back to a song. I listen to music all the time, I love music. And there's a, a artist out there called Sean Groves. He hasn't really recorded anything recently, but, but he was a, a guy that was, they wrote the song called Should I Tell Them? And the song is about his platform that he's been given as an artist, as a recording artist that people will come and wanna listen to. But he has all these fears about what am I supposed to do with these people, God? I don't know what to tell them. And it resonated with me. This song is called, Should I Tell Them? Should I tell them that you are the one who has made me and saved me and set up a home there inside? Should I tell them that I am the perfect example of all you can do with a life? And then he asks these two questions. What should I say to them? And what if I'm failing them? 
See, my biggest fear in becoming one of your elders is there would be some significant sin, some moral failure, or some lack of responsibility in my own heart, in my own life, that I would bring dishonor to God, or to you, or my family, or the elder team. Because even though I've been redeemed, I also know the propensity of my heart is inclined to sin. I didn't want to let you down because I love you so, so much. But I want you to know I'm so thankful that I went through with it. I'm so thankful I was obedient to God. I'm so thankful I was obedient to that call because it has brought me more joy and more blessing than I can begin to describe to you. And I would have forfeited all of that had I chosen not to obey what God was calling and and asking me to do. There's a, a verse inside of the book of Jonah that says, those that cling to worthless idols forfeit grace. That's what I would have been doing was forfeiting grace that God had for me. And I know that, that in your own lives, if we aren't faithful to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we will forfeit so much blessing in our life. We will forfeit so much grace. So while we wait, let's wait with joy, wait with confidence in the Lord that he's always at work, wait in faithful obedience. And then lastly this, we need to be waiting with expectation. And the reason why we need to be waiting with expectation or why we can be waiting with expectation is is this. Um, We see it over here in verse uh, 68, 69, and 71. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Since the beginning, since Adam and Eve entered the world, and in Genesis chapter three, when sin enters humanity, Something is broken about this world. Not only did sin enter, but it brought with it pain and sickness and sadness and broken relationships and even death itself. And these are some of the enemies that that we're talking about here. Salvation from our enemies. Those are some of the enemies that Jesus came to save us from. And if you look back um, throughout all of scripture, all of the holy prophets of the Old Testament looked forward to and spoke about a time when the Messiah would enter history in humanity when he would come to save the world. And that's why we have Christmas, that's why we celebrate, because that same baby, he grew up to be a man, to live a perfect sinless life. He was murdered on a cross. Man, if this is the 500th time you've heard the gospel, because that's what this is, it's good news of Jesus, don't miss the glory of the gospel and the beauty of the cross and all that means for your life, because it's true. It's the only hope we have. The beauty is Jesus was not, um, did not stay dead three days later. He rose again and was, was resurrected, eventually ascending to, to the throne where he rules and reigns now. And here's why we can wait with expectation because one day Jesus is going to come back for us. The nation of Israel had been waiting for 400 years for something from God. We've been waiting for some 2,000 years for Jesus to come back. But I promise you this, he's going to come back. We can count on it. We can count on it. We, along with creation, should be looking and waiting with expectation because we can count on that from Jesus. Um, I'm gonna end with this story. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back at this point. My daughter's 18th birthday was, was a couple of weeks ago. And um, to celebrate her 18th birthday, we, we uh, had arranged for 18 surprises over the course of, of two or three days over her birthday weekend and into her birthday on Monday. And her favorite surprise, and, and my favorite surprise as well, was that we, we prearranged with her teacher um, at school to come to school and do a party in her classroom. And the classroom that we chose to do this in was uh, the special needs class. My daughter's a peer mentor, so she works with kids with special needs at school. 
And so we talked to the teacher, we arranged ahead of time, we said, hey, we'd like to do this, and she said, I think this is a wonderful idea. She said, the reality is many of these special needs students have never been to a birthday party. They just haven't been invited. And so the teacher sent my daughter out of the classroom intentionally with one, a couple of the students to do some jobs. They learned life skills, so it wasn't weird at all that they were going out of the classroom to do a task. And when we showed up, we brought balloons, we brought cupcakes, we brought Capri Suns, because what's a party without some Capri Suns, you know? We had little goodie bags, little gift bags for the students. And these students were so excited about this party. There was smiles like you can't believe there was excitement over a juice pouch. I wish I experienced that kind of joy and delight. These students are some of the most loving and kind and gracious kids you'll ever meet. It was wonderful. I, surprise, I wanted to cry the whole class. <laughs> it was amazing. But what was amazing about it is they were so excited about this party. The party was here. The decorations were here. Everything was here, but they could not wait until Alex got there so that, that the 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 point of the party would be there, that the person that the party was for would finally show up. And when she did, they were so excited. There was claps, there were smiles. They were just pumped to have this party for, for my daughter. And for us in some way, that's what Christmas is like. For us in some way, the party is already here because Jesus has already come. He's already been born. He's already um, lived. He's already died and been resurrected and all of those wonderful things. And so for us now, even before Christmas, the decorations are up, the lights are on the trees, the lights are on the houses. For some of us, we already have some gifts under the tree. And for some of us, the party is already here. But we can and should be waiting with expectation because there will be one glorious day when the real party will finally start. When the object and the reason we have a party will come back for us, that great and glorious day when Jesus comes back for us. It's gonna be wonderful. It's gonna be wonderful. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna worship this great God. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.